When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show, where everything is an experiment. We love technology because technology grows at a compounded rate. Every time you make progress in technology, it's stable. You build on top of it the next layer, then on top again and again. With human progress, we do make progress, but we also make the same mistake thousands of times in our lives. And we oftentimes can't help ourselves but to make the same problems. So we currently maintain we're the smartest species on the planet. Also, we make the same mistake thousands of times in our lives. It's a major flaw in our intelligence. And so with my health, I'm saying, why would I ever accept an error in my behavior? Because it just sets me back. Why wouldn't I accept a stable system that builds itself and then again, it runs through the measurement and protocol process and I get to improve again and again. And so the, the question here is as a species, can we systematically stop self-harm? The silliness of doing things that hurt us, that cause accelerated aging, that cause disease, causes misery, causes all the bad stuff. Can we stop it? And can we say, you know what? Like we're past it and we're gonna move on and we're gonna focus our gaze on this horizon of new possibilities. So Blueprint, it seems like it's about health and wellness. It really is about the future of the human race. It's a way we can imagine ourselves uh, improving at a compounded rate not so that we're super intelligent, maybe that's where we go, but so that we can imagine evolving ourselves into something where these gains take us. I think of what we're doing here as I'm a professional rejuvenation athlete. I'm not a biohacker. I'm not a hobbyist. I'm a professional athlete and I'm going to treat myself as a professional athlete. And when you have that kind of mindset, it's an entirely different game. Whereas most people just like, you. If you just think you're just trying to get along in life, it's a different mentality versus you're like, you really are serious about what you're doing and you, you embrace that mentality. Like, I mean, I don't know why prof- creative professionals, they go to work all day and they use their brain. They have to be their very best in their brain, not their body. They're not shooting balls or kicking balls, but then treat your brain like you're a professional brain athlete. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. My guest today is American entrepreneur, Brian Johnson. His first business, Braintree, sold Venmo to PayPal and eBay for $800 million. And after that experience, he obviously had some time and space and decided to take on a new project with his latest company, Kernel, and a project called Blueprint. 
Now, you have to understand this is somebody who was depressed for about 10 years and thought, okay, if I can, as he calls it, fire Knight Brian, the person making the decisions that aren't supporting his well-being, his health, physically and mentally, he decided to create Blueprint, which is a project where literally he's on autopilot. From the minute he wakes up in the morning at 5.30, he eats the same things, he moves the same way, He's taking about 104 or five supplements. He's done eating his vegetable mash at noon. And he is measuring about 200 points of data each day. And the hope is, is not only to feel better mentally, but is to sort of not do harm to oneself, to others, with this idea of maybe not harming the planet. For me, I live very, very differently. And I thought rather than just kind of go against it or think, oh, this guy is just trying to control every factor of his life. I just thought I'd go see him and see what he was thinking. Now, if you want to know what the regimen is, it's all free online. I really wanted to get to behind the why. And the other thought is maybe he's measuring things that we can benefit from. Maybe we won't do it the way he does it. I still am a huge believer in instinct and the natural world and spontaneity and trying to get to a place where you can use discipline to make the choices and decisions you want. But everybody does it differently. And it was just a fun conversation. The other thing is, is that Brian gives it all away for free. And if you ask him, hey, how much longer are you gonna do this? Remember, he's been doing it for two years. He says forever. I thought that was interesting. Enjoy. Brian Johnson, thank you for making time and for having me in your space. Justin and I occasionally go on the road and I'm really just happy that we could sit and talk with you because I I was sort of turned on to what you were doing and thought, oh, I, I want to go, I want to go talk to Brian and see what he's up to. And um, maybe you could sort what, of what did you hear? Well, I watched a bunch of videos and I saw a, maybe a TED talk or, and I just saw a bunch of things. I saw a morning routine video and, um, I just, you know, I'm so drawn to the genuine space of wellness and not in the fad way, but because of maybe my generation and my experience coming through athletics, having somebody who sort who really in a different way comes through technology. That's why I want to talk to you. Cause that's not in my wheelhouse you know, just the way you assess things and approach things is going to be so different. And I thought it would be a great opportunity just to learn. Exciting. Yeah. That's why I'm here. So maybe you could just set up for me, you had another company, you sold that company, it did well. And you're at a place where you think, because you're quite young, probably what's next. So how did you arrive at sort of getting into, are we calling it project blueprints? What is the exact title of this experiment that you're in right now? The thought process behind it was uh, lucky us that we exist. Let's play an infinite game together. And that idea comes from an author, James Carse, finite games and infinite games, a finite game is a game that starts and stops, a winner and a loser, so much like our sports athletics. An infinite game, the interest the players have the game is that the game keeps on going. 
there's no concern about winning or losing. Thought about if I could dedicate the entirety of myself to a single endeavor for the benefit of all humans, what would I do to try to contribute to a gameplay? And it seemed to me trying to arrest the effects of aging might have a beneficial approach in terms of how we feel about ourselves, the games we can play, how long we can play them, how well we can play them. And so I started this project to really explore uh, this scientific question with today's scientific knowledge, what is possible in terms of slowing the speed at which someone ages and then reversing the aging that has occurred. So when, when I was driving here, I was thinking about this idea that also the way we practice medicine doesn't ultimately support what you're talking about. And I was ever wondering if you, because you have the intelligence, the bandwidth, and probably the relationships to also, it, do you ever think there's a way in this game that we'll be able to sort of tackle that side of it as, as sort of at a parallel path at some point? Because I do think that that is also a part of the formula, I think, you know, and we're going to dive into what you're doing, but I also wonder, are you, after kind of really diving into this space, optimistic about how we're going to also practice our healthcare? I'd say the most meaningful shift that I made was previously, I would use my mind to make most of the decisions about what I do. So if I go to the grocery store, it's evaluating the options. It's a menu at the restaurant. It's reading blogs and trying to get together, trying to assemble information that I could piece together for a, a productive health regimen. And what I did is I shifted and said, why wouldn't it just make sense for my organs to speak for themselves? Why can't my heart have a voice and my lung and my pancreas and my liver? And why can't they express directly what they want? And the issue was measurement. So if I could implement a measurement protocol of looking at blood, urine, saliva, stool, imaging, MRI, ultrasound, DNA methylation test, fitness test, you know, you know, dozens of tests producing hundreds of markers that allow each of these organs to speak directly and then use that data, compare it with scientific evidence, and then create a protocol. And that resulted in me removing the authority of my mind to make decisions, empowering my organs to speak, and then following exactly what the organs and the scientific evidence said, and then repeating that process continually. So I've done that for two years now, and it's produced uh, near perfect biomarkers in my body. So I have 50 plus biomarkers that are perfect, 100 biomarkers that are less than my chronological age. My, my speed of aging, so the, the speed at which I age is 26% lower than when I started on this. And so I joke that I roughly get October, November, and December for free every year. Right. So I, I age uh, much lower. So it was really that empowerment. It's very counterintuitive because most of the time we approach life thinking our brains are the primary problem solver. And in this case, the solution was removing my mind from the, the equation and letting my body just solve it with measurement. Yeah. I, I heard you say a great line, like you, you fired uh, nighttime Brian, or <laughs> yeah. I think it was something like that. Yeah. Would you say prior to this, you, you know, you said you would try to use your mind to make decisions, but do you think you were kind of in that zone of working and building something and, you, you know, you have three children and all this, or would you also say that health has 
been at least somewhat important throughout your life, even prior to this experiment? Or was it sort of like you, you put it, scotch taped it together mm. like most, most of us? It became acutely important to me when I had chronic depression. Mm -hmm. Nothing became more important than trying to resolve that feeling of hopelessness. There's just nothing worse. And so I'd say that at that moment, it, I locked in in a battle of death of can I solve this thing? And that naturally grew. So really a blueprint really grew out of uh, chronic depression. Just to give people a little background, you grew up in kind of a, you know, set religious environment. And then it seems like you probably went pretty hard at work, obviously. Mm -hmm. And when somebody watches you, I think they, they would think, oh, he is so smart. He'll just think his way through and out of everything. And, and then most people, I think, feel like they're running through life being dictated by their feelings. So where do you, when you talk about depression, how did you find not only through this process where you, you, you know, you, you've said you go on autopilot to like nine 30 in the morning or whatever, but also where did you find a place not only by navigating your chemistry, but for your feelings, mm -hmm. where did you, did the language become easier because the chemistry got better or how did you find that rhythm? Because I, I think there's a lot of people who it's, it's natural to be anxious and to be, you know, concerned. And, you know, they talk about women have more negative emotions, prone to negative emotions and things like that, but trying to find these outlets, mm -hmm. how, do, has this been made easier simply by getting the chemistry better? Unquestionably. Yes. One of the biggest breakthroughs that happened when I was depressed is I learned that the thoughts I had about my hopelessness were not my thoughts. There were thoughts that were generated and I became aware of them, but they weren't me. I, there was a space between that thought or emotion and me. And once I learned how to observe the mind, so this is something that of course is taught in meditation, that there's this separation that was liberating for me that I could observe my mind in this dispassionate way and see it behave in these erratic ways. And that's the same thing when I fired Evening Brian, there was this version of me. So at the end of the day, after working really hard, putting the kids to bed, a fight with the spouse, and then just feeling like there's nothing else in me and feeling the, the stresses of reality and wanting to soothe myself in any way, then turning to food. You know, it's like some mechanism of, of self-soothing. Um, that version of me was destroying life for all versions of me. Because then I would overeat or eat the wrong stuff. I wouldn't sleep well. The next morning, I'd be cloudy. So I'd try again, exercise, eat well. But we think of ourselves as a singular person. In reality, we're hundreds of kinds of people. There's nighttime us. There's therapy us. There's friends us. There's work mode us. There's all these different versions. And we behave so differently. We have different thoughts. We all know this. We feel very inspired or moved. And we... We vow to behave a certain way. Then an hour later, we're doing the thing we said we wouldn't do. And so it's a, it's a complicated process to get all these versions of us to cooperate. And again, that's what the, what I feel happiest about. And to your question is when I let my organs start speaking for themselves, it's the first time in my entire life I've actually achieved peace within self. Before it was just war. Every version of, its, uh, of me was just fighting against the other version, trying to get what it wanted. 
And it, it, it's all at war. And now it feels stable and clear and peaceful. Do you think before you would, would you be a person who just kind of retreated if things got, if they were hard and tired and there, it was combative, would you sort of just retreat more or I, I, cause I, in, in knowing you for all of eight minutes, it doesn't feel like you, you would be somebody who's like, yeah, let's get a, let's be in a dust up here. Like let's, mm -hmm. you know, or do you, did you sort of try to manage everything internally? Yes. Yeah. I think that's hard. I always say, listen, the reason I train and eat well at this point in my life, I'm not trying to hit any balls harder. I am literally trying to show up <laughs> right in this peaceful way. Yeah, yeah. People don't realize what you're saying is this isn't all of us because we like to think about spirit and consciousness and all these things. Cause they, I think it is all connected. You have the sun, you have the planets. I mean, we're part of something, but then there is this kind of very straightforward part of our chemistry that if we can pull some of those levers, I think it makes the other stuff so much easier. So let's talk about deciding, do you have an epiphany you're in bed or it's a slow burn? Like I'm going to move towards this project. And then how do you decide who is going to help you? Humanity has been chasing the fountain of youth since the beginning of time. And the story is typically a group of, group of explorers on a boat in some Amazonian region, and they're going after some temple for some elixir. And the question that was interesting to pose is, is the fountain of youth here right now? Is it just hiding in thousands or tens of thousands of scientific publications? And if someone was willing to work very hard to be exact in uh, adherence, would it be possible? And that's what my team and I have been doing it for two years. And so the team is uh, roughly 30 people. We have specialists for everything. And I believe I'm, I'm possibly the most measured person in all of history. Of More measurements have taken, been taken in my body. We've taken that data and it's compared against uh, over a thousand peer-reviewed scientific publications. And then we've now implemented 200 scientific protocols. And again, we do this process again and again. And the thing that I like the best about this is typically what I hear is our response is first, people say eggs are good for you. And then they say eggs are bad for you. No one knows. And they give up. And the objective of this endeavor was to say, there are answers that are more right than other answers. And you can punch through the, no the noise. And so that's why I've shared everything publicly. My protocols, my experiences, everyone can do it. They can replicate it. They can do it themselves and get their own data. And so it really is meant to try to move the entire world forward with something that stabilizes the discussion that we can actually step-by-step step figure out the best things for us. Versus right now, it's fractured into a million pieces and everyone's opinion is of equal value. So, you know, there's some thought that we're sort of physiologically sort of very similar and different, right? You'll meet people, um, let's say sort of certain high performance athletes where they go, hey, listen, I, I need animal protein. And they might get hunted animals and high quality and there's no hormones and things like that. And there's people who vegan is the way they feel better. They think better. Everything reacts better. Um, so do you, and I, I believe that there's sort of, there's universal truths about 
well-being. And then there's kind of some nuance buckets. And maybe we can just talk about, are you being the concentrated tablet that at least you go, hey, I've played the game by every rule. How long are you going to keep doing this, by the way? Is this forever now? Yes. For real? Yes. You're going to do this, this measured from now until... Yes. Okay. So you're the concentrated tablet that you're saying to people, okay, you can keep using me as home base. You can keep watching me. We can keep measuring. And then you implement how you can. Is that kind of the invitation? Yeah. The, the statement is before we used our brains and we had tribal debates, almost like we do with religion, where anybody can cite any chapter and verse and make up any religion. And so there's the carnivore versus vegan battle. There's the this and that battle. And what I'm saying is let's not do that. That's kind of silly and primal. Let's measure, let the organs and biological processes speak, look at the evidence, implement, measure, evidence, protocol, and do it again and again. And stop with this uh, fighting. Let's just follow the data and follow measurements. And what outputs for somebody may be different, but really let's go on the data and not someone's opinion. And that pushes the entire field forward. The difficulty is when you're relying upon someone expressing an opinion about a given thing. But the, the important uh, idea on like what I do this forever, if the compounded gains are the eighth wonder of the world. So it's, it's like if you invest $1,000 today and you let it grow for 30 years, it makes, you know, it can grow to be a big sum or the analogy of putting one grain of rice on a checkerboard and the first and two and then four and then eight. Compounded gain growth is like the, is the eighth wonder of the world. We love technology because technology grows at a compounded rate. Every time you make progress in technology, it's stable. You build on top of it, the next layer, then on top again and again. With human progress, we do make progress, but we also make the same mistake thousands of times in our lives. And we oftentimes can't help ourselves, but to make the same problems. So we currently maintain we're the smartest species on the planet. Also, we make the same mistake thousands of times in our lives. It's a major flaw in our intelligence. And so with my health, I'm saying, why would I ever accept an error in my behavior? because it just sets me back. Why wouldn't I accept a stable system that builds itself? And then again, it runs through the measurement and protocol process and I get to improve again and again. And so the, the question here is as a species, can we systematically stop self-harm? The silliness of doing things that hurt us, that cause accelerated aging, that cause disease, causes misery, causes all the bad stuff. Yeah. Can we stop it? And can we say, you know what? Like we're past it and we're going to move on and we're going to focus our gaze on this horizon, new possibility. So Blueprint, it seems like it's about health and wellness. It really is about the future of the human race. It's a way we can imagine ourselves uh, improving at a compounded rate, not so that we're super intelligent. Maybe that's where we go, but so that we can imagine evolving ourselves into something where these gains take us. Right. And, and we leave certain behaviors or things behind. That's why I wanted to come talk to you because I have to tell you, I live in a world in so many ways. I mean, the health part, I'm, I'm, uh, we're 
aligned. You know, I've practiced being pretty healthy and disciplined for a really long time. And um, I live with an athlete and he, but what's interesting is like, he's all feeling and primal, right? So he's all like Laird is almost somebody who's going backwards to go forwards. Cause I feel like this sort of uh, industrialized time got us off in a weird place. And to me, when you talk, it feels like you're somebody who's saying, well, if we're going to live in this world, the way it is with technology and computers, and we're not going to be in nature, really getting water from the stream, then we're going to have to build construct a real plan. And as somebody who feels like more sloppy and messy and, and, I'm, it's fascinating to me because maybe it's the way it has to get answered. I always find it to be an interesting thought experiment. Like imagine a dinner party happening in 2050 and they're reflecting on how people behaved in 2023. And let's say they're poking fun of us, just like we do with people who live before us and the things they did. What would be fun is imagining what would they say about us? Or even in the year 2100, they take whatever time scale you want. And they could say things like, can you believe they used to uh, celebrate a night out drinking with friends and not get ideal sleep? And can you believe they used to put pressure on each other to do this, these self-destructive behaviors? Can you believe that they used to believe in their own feelings about what to do with their body and not. And this is not to say feelings don't matter. It's just to say that there's also other ways to acquire data, mm -hmm. but it's an interesting possibility to pull ourselves out of this moment and to contemplate what is possible and then see how that creates a difference between us now and then trying to be there before it becomes inevitable. And to me, this feels uh, like a, an obvious reality that the future is here in this regard. The technology is present. It's capable. The science works. Uh, the data I've, I've shared demonstrates uh, its efficacy. So it really does, but it challenges many of our core beliefs and identities. Like, for example, like this idea that I would demote my conscious mind. Our perceived freedom of choice and in our individual actions, there's probably nothing more sacred that we hold as a society. And because it is, we just protect it with everything we have. It's outside of the realm of reality for most people to think, I'm just not going to have my mind involved anymore. Let my body just run it. It's that's so wild and so counterintuitive. Uh, it's almost, it's offensive to people because it feels like it's robbing them of their sacredness. Do you think instinct is connected because instinct feels outside of sometimes parts of our chemistry. I don't know. It feels something. I don't know. How do you, where does, what does instinct mean to you? Do you think that's a, an illusion or what, what is it? What is, how does that show up for you? On the, on words such as uh, feelings and instinct, there, there are best technology to try to capture a phenomena. So with an instinct, we're simply saying, there's some biochemical reaction happening in our bodies. It produces some feeling that pattern matches in our brain and it concludes something. And so behind that intuition is actually data. There's something happening. And so I'm interested in that data. It's a more granular way to understand what intuition is. It's a more granular way to understand what is going on. 
And so intuition is our best effort up until this point. Now we can do better. Meaning we can identify what's happening. How can we do better? Versus like, let's say you have kids, I have kids, I'm, and I have three daughters. So I, you know, I'm always encouraging them. Hey, when you get that little thought or feeling, just pay attention. Don't sh- put it at bay. Don't shove it down. Just doesn't mean you have to start freaking out or worry or think a big opinion about someone or a situation, but keep listening to that, that unknown phenomenon. So what are you, what do you mean about now you can understand in a way that now we can develop it or honor it? Or how do you feel? In circumstances where somebody meets somebody and they... Oh, you mean chemistry? Or? <laughs> well, I was going to go the other way. And oh, say, you mean like they have a bad feeling? Exactly. Yeah, they sure. they say, I just felt something was off. Mm-hmm. Those are skills that our species have evolved over a long time, and we probably shouldn't ignore them. What I'm suggesting is on the intuition side is if I... If I'm managing my health and I'm walking through my kitchen and I say, okay, what do I need? It's a banana. (laughs) And that's the way I feed myself. Could work. Not my preferred way of trying to figure out what the body needs. I would rather look at measurement. And so this is, I'm doing this at my company, Kernel, where we built this this brain imaging device where, for example, I wore it uh, while uh, under the, I guess, while having been administered ketamine. Yeah. And so I did the psychedelic experience where typically when people have experiences, uh, you, you do the psychedelic experience, you come out of it and it's like, how was it? What did you feel? And you have this freshness of experience. And then a week later when you report, it's different because a week has passed and yeah. you, you, you change your opinion because your memory has changed your experience. And then a month later, it's different even more and a year later. And with our interface, we have a digital recording of what happened in your brain in that process. And so it's a memory that's captured in zeros and ones versus this memory, which just kind of moves about over time. And so what I'm saying, all I'm trying to say is that measurement of the body allows us to observe things and see things that were otherwise were blinded to. And so it's not to say that instinct is not valuable. It's not to say that our feelings are not valuable. It's only to say that as we pair them up, it creates a higher fidelity picture. And that there's actually, if people are debating this and they're stuck, you know, like everyone digs in, they're like, right. I'm really into this thing. There's a way to actually figure out how to break the, the log jam. And so uh, we, this week we announced the rejuvenation Olympics and this, this uses. Oh, you're smart. You're gamifying. The sound. <laughs> yes, Brian. Yes, yeah. there you go. So this uses a, a longitudinal study based out of New Zealand, over a thousand participants, I believe, over five decades. They have, I think, the highest uh, retention rate. And they've measured these people consistently across this whole battery of tests. And it's the, if they look at DNA methylation patterns, this algorithm does, and it, it shows you your speed of aging. So how fast is your biological clock going? Are you aging at one, like where you should be, or faster than one, 1. 1.2 or 1.3, or slower, 0.76, like where mine was recently. And so if you could basically run a test and say, all right, let's have a person who walks about in the world and uses their feelings to decide what they want to eat. Let's have another person just do this measurement protocol. And let's see who, whose data scores, uh, what their speed of aging is relative to what their, their biological processes are doing. 
And so that's the whole objective is in this wild world where everyone has an opinion, it's equally strong and people feel like they don't, they can't tell the difference between what to do. Now you can, the technology and measurement is there to, to punch through and say, actually, we can find ways to do things that actually benefit the body. My mind can't help but jump around to like, uh, you know, Italians or the French or, you know, people who start dinner at 1230 and um, life has a, there's a different cultural sort of, like I can see sort of other cultures. I read a book. Did you ever read the book Culture Code? Uh, it's kind of interesting where it talks about different codes in different cultures and how the Japanese thought how foolish we were because we married for love. Ha <laughs> ha. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, what's so ridiculous? Like, what about like, yeah. you know, practical companions and, and things like that is I'm just interested because I, I see what you're saying. And then, you know, the biggest question most of us have is like, sort of, what are we doing here? Mm. What's this meaning? What mm. is the meaning of life? And that changes so many times through yeah. life. And so when you say, Hey, I'm, I'm in now, and this is how I'm living. That means all of your relationships, everything is, is sort of around this. Does this, does this kind of shift the meaning or is this also part of like your personal mission? Like part of what you're doing here is now saying, I think I can contribute this information and whoever can benefit from it will do that. Mm -hmm. Is that... Because in a way, it's a sacrifice of, and, and maybe not from your point of view, but the, un, you know, kind of some of the unexpected of life or spontaneity and even maybe some people like some of the mess. Mm. I, I don't know. You, you know what I mean? I like do. this part of it. And I know a part of that is not healthy behavior or it's self-sabotaging, but there's sometimes that invisible thing about life that... Um, you know, and again, maybe you're the concentrated tablet, mm. you know, there's people like you who you put you in the water and then we all get the hue, mm. but you have to be the one. Do you ever, does that ever bother you? Or you're just like, no, this is my, part of my mission. In the meaning of life question, there's more information in a person's response about it reflecting its time and place than the actual answer. There's no correct answer about the meaning of life ever. And so if you pose this question to somebody in the year 1500, 1600, whatever, whatever the date is, the person responds that just simply is information on what does that culture care about? That's it. So it's just a mirror of that culture. Well, of no other value. And for me, the, the objective here is Lucky us, we exist. If we're going to play games together, let's solve the most basic thing about this game. Let's not stop playing the game. And let's not be on the bench because we can't play the game. Let's not be out injured. Let's not be watching from a sick bed. Yeah. Let's be playing together. And then if you say, okay, let's just play. We're going to play together and it's going to be fun. Everyone can have their own gameplay. Everyone can have their own meaning. They can have their own justification for existing. Wonderful. And then if you say, what are the things that are stopping that gameplay from happening? Well, first, I'm committing devastating self-harm naturally. Like I'm eating foods that are not good for me. I'm binging on alcohol. I'm what, like whatever the thing is uh, any of us are doing, we're 
we are accelerating disease and age and death. And so if we stop that self-harm within ourselves, maybe we stop harm between each other. Mm. And if we do it between each other, maybe we stop harm on planet Earth. The, at the core of our problems is harm, that we are violent within ourselves, with each other yeah. and the planet. And so when you talk about, when we talk about the, these ideas of what do we want to do as a species and what's our meaning and what are our goals, harm is at the basis of all these things. And I achieved world peace within Brian. Mm. I got everyone to agree. We're cool. We're going to cooperate and we're fine. And so the next, I call this goal alignment. You hear this a lot in the tech world, where we say, we're so scared of AI because it's not goal aligned with humans. Well, humans are not goal aligned. Yeah. <laughs> An individual is not goal aligned. With, like, within me, I've got hundreds of competing priorities and I had to get everyone on the same page and be like, hey guys, we're actually going to be on the same team doing the same thing because we want to play this game. I have to say that you said a version of that at the beginning of the conversation, but that answer I could feel so differently, the feeling in that too. And I know it's, you know, thinking and feeling and, and all of that um, and, 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 taking and, some, and taking some of that away. But I, I really ap appreciate that part of it. So maybe let's, let's dive in. You have, you know, you're, you're recording, I don't know, is it over 200 data points every day or something like that? And you have an expert of people behind you and, and your new company, Kernel, K-E-R, right? It's not, it's not like what people think. Um, you have blueprint is the hope because people are going to wonder, is this sort of hope? Like, Hey, if we get this right and we can, we can condense this information and tests and really kind of drill down on something and have something that people can utilize, that'll be what comes out of this. I would, I would think. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So what, what does a day look like? And we have some, I'm so glad you have cacao here. That's so nice. What does it look like? And, and also getting started, was it easy or was it challenging for you? Were you like, okay, lock and load. I'm one of those people. Once I make up my mind, I'm good. Um, and also the adjustment of the people around you. Yeah. Tell me about that. <laughs> Where, did you have a sit family sit down with the kids and say, Hey, and I know they're young adults and you know, whatever, but did, were you like, Hey, I'm going to embark on this. How did you approach that? Cause this is a big commitment. Or just a shift. Yeah. One of the most amusing things about the whole thing was when I fired Evening Brian and I basically said, hey, Brian, from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., you no longer have authority mm -hmm. to eat food under any circumstance. Doesn't matter if there's a special occasion. Doesn't matter if you're like haven't eaten for four days and it's the only window you have to eat. You're like stuck somewhere in the desert. <laughs> no exceptions whatsoever. And it was amusing to see when 5 p.m. struck and that evening Brian came out, he would throw tantrums. He would punch holes in the wall. He'd be on the floor crying. He would have every good excuse imaginable. He was like chat GPT just rolling out these, these reasons why he should be given an exception to the rules. Yeah. And it was, I loved seeing this on display and I just watched him behave of like just this once or just this little, I mean, it was amazing. And so it, it was like watching this version of myself panic, wanting their control to do what they wanted. And that was the hardest part is to say, no, you're not going to do it because you ruin life for everybody else. 
And once I was able to succeed in that one little example, like basically taking the worst version of myself Mm -hmm. and wrestling control over that person, no longer having the, the authority to do it, everything else became a baby step forward. And so that's when most people, when people approach blueprint, it feels overwhelming and it's a lot. And I'd say the best thing anybody can do is to start with identifying your worst version and wrestling control, then start layering on the baby steps. Because what a lot of people do is they'll incorporate a few good things into their lives and then they feel pretty good about it. And then their destructive behaviors become worse because now they feel entitled to do more because they've been a little bit good. Right. And so doing a little good actually ends up being a lot more worse if you haven't solved your self-destructive tendencies. And we all have them. We're, we're kind of a self-destructive species. And so that's it. That. But number two is, uh, yes, my lifestyle, uh, people view it from the outside and they think it's ridiculous. It's even more ridiculous than they realize because I haven't shared everything sure. I do. And uh, nothing brings me greater joy. And I'd say in terms of the, the last question you asked of adaptation, my friends and family just laugh it off and we have a new norm. And so it's cohesive and it's fun and it's a joke. Uh, I provide a lot of humor for people because, you know, I am a, a, an aberration, a lot of norms, which is great. So I'd say that a lot of people fear about it disrupting their social lives and they get so yeah. fearful about that and what other people will think. But we all know when stuff happens, we change and everyone changes and it's fine. So it's just yeah. confronting that and it's, it, it works itself out. And the, the great thing about being a parent is you're never cool or, you know, you're always going to be weird or, you know, someone embarrassing on any level for your kids. So that's perfect. Now, at least you're doing something that it's like, oh, I don't eat past five. Okay. Um, hopefully they don't come over and then order pizza or something. Yeah. And then you have to smell it. I don't know. You know, I, I had, I would I kill think, somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> I had such a cool experience in high school. My, my house was a, a congregation house. And so my friends came over all the mm. time and everybody loved my mom. And my mom substitute taught at my high school and she just won the hearts of everybody. And I would walk in the hall with my arm around my mom's shoulder and oh. yeah, and everyone loved her. And I was so proud of her because how, what a great person she was, is. And so my son has done the same thing with me. He has fully adopted me and he celebrates my eccentricities and he's proud of me. And I go to his school with him. Uh, so it's really been nice where he, he has not taken on a typical teenager discipline, uh, a t- typical American teenager where there's this, expectation that one needs to be ashamed right. of their parents, which is ridiculous. And uh, I really like that he has been courageous enough to say, you know what? I don't really care what you guys think. I love my dad. We have a great relationship. Yeah. And this is how we roll together. I think a lot of times it's a, it's just a, mostly it's a natural breaking away, but I find I, cause I've grown children and then I still have a, one of my daughters is at home in high school is they, it gets, they sort of take, they realize how, you know, what was that Mark Twain quote, quote about? Like, it was amazing how much my father learned from when I t- was 12 to 21. It's like, they, they come back around. Mm-hmm. I am curious just because you are so highly measured. And I was joking earlier that there's only, you're the second person I've ever met, met that makes me talk a little more quiet. Um, 
Rick Rubin being the other, it's just an involuntary response, is if something, if you're presented with something, like I, I know you've had a, a, a first career and a level of success and, you know, certain things are, are probably good, but let's say life throws you something because it does. You have kids, things you care about, maybe a, you know, a partner and um, it's, you know, it wasn't on the schedule and it's not planned and it's hard. Are you responding differently than you used to because of blueprint and this practice of two years? And also what happens when you can't solve it or fix it? What do you, what do you do with that? Cause that's messy human stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you do with that? It's similar to how I learned with depression. You're just like the depressive mind delivers up observations about reality that are not you. Life delivers up circumstances that are not you. Mm-hmm. And so it's observing a, in a detached state. And that's the objective. And so I try to take everything in stride that uh, I'm part of a bigger system. I play in it. And it's out of my control uh, how it hap- what happens. And so trying to not trying to brute force existence, but roll within it. All right. I want to talk about your, your routine and really get into some of the brass tacks, but I have to ask you one last kind of human question, which is when I hear that, you know, passion and love, right? Like it's, it, it's something even within that, are you, are you able to go into it or do you, do you sort of think, oh, this is, I'm, uh, I'm observing it and I'm going to roll with it. You know, like if, if someone, you were in love with someone and they're like, you know, Brian, it's just not working out. I want to eat at 730 <laughs> yeah. and you felt heartache. Yeah. Would it be something that you also process in that same attitude? This one's a hard uh, question for me to answer because ultimately I am unaware of how self-aware I am. I have a perception of myself of my own level of self-awareness, but I don't really know. Sure. And this is a, an opportunity for me to misstep and suggest I have more self-awareness than I actually do. So I have emotions that I feel. I don't know how strong they are compared to other people. I just don't know how to measure that. And a lot of people, uh, many people have made the observation that I don't experience emotion as intensely as they do, or at least I don't appear to. See, that's an important word. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, it's like, I guess, I guess I'm observing this, that a lot of people do make this observation. They suspect I don't, but maybe I do internally mm. and I just don't express it in ways that they understand it. So I certainly think I experience all the emotions that everyone experiences. I just don't know to what intensity relative to them. Right. And their manifestation may be different than mine. But I mean, I certainly, yes, I feel love and I feel empathy and I feel pain. And I don't think there's any part of the emotional spectrum I don't experience. Uh, I just think for, for, for a lot of people, because I I want, I'm, I'm trying also like connecting to your message is also connecting to you a little bit is it is a unique, you, you have a unique uh, way. And it's, it's just interesting to get to hear from your point of view so that we can all, I think asking the questions is how we learn, right? Like, and, and knowing, and, you know, like I, I try really hard not to get sideways 
from my kids. Cause that's the one place yeah. it's really hard for me to be objective, but I fail all the time. They, I get, they, I, you know, you, you're maybe too young, but there used to be those punching clowns that would go down and come back up. Mm. And I always try to be someone who's like, okay, I'm just go down and come back up, you know, and be there. Um, but I, I sometimes get hit down. And so I was just, you know, wondering, cause it is a fascinating thing to me that you have like family and you do this and it's an interesting, um, kind of balance. What I was trying to convey, I think was that several people in the comments section of various things. No, no, I actually, I love them. I, I love the commentators. I love the haters. I do. I sincerely do. And they've made observations that I am an AI or I seem like an AI. And, you know, it, it, it's funny to me. And so what I'm trying to acknowledge to them is like, hey, I hear you. Yeah. And like, I think I have emotional experiences. Maybe I don't. But I guess I'm just trying to acknowledge the humor yeah. that how people experience me is their observations. I have this own internal thing that I experience and I don't know how to make up the difference. So that's it. It's just, it's, that's beautiful. Fu it's funny. Yeah. And uh, I think it's a great area to explore. I do too. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I've personally been taking Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin since right when COVID hit. I was looking for something supportive and powerful. Someone suggested it to me and lo and behold, I got I did some research and what I love about them is so women were kept out of research until 1993 by federal law. And Ritual really knows how important women are. Obviously, if you're going to be selling them vitamins, they're essential. And they conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their essential for eight women 18 plus multivitamin to really assess its efficacy. So right there, I was intrigued and even more intrigued by the results. It increased vitamin D, which is what I was looking for by levels up to 43% and omega-3 DHA, so important, levels by 41%. And that was just in 12 weeks. So they take the time and energy to figure out, hey, you know, does this work? And is it going to be good for these women? And not to mention that what they do is so smart. They, they kind of hone in on nine key nutrients and they put it in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So if you're going to spend the time and energy to really, you know, navigate taking supplements, Everything is bioavailable. Your body can absorb it. It don't know what to do. And it's really gentle on your, on your stomach. So you don't have to worry about like, oh, I have an empty stomach or after food or before food. They just take away all of those pressure points and make it as easy as possible and give you comfort in knowing also that Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, gluten and major allergen free. They're certified B Corp. And all of their ingredients are made traceable. Don't get me started on the nice little finished touch of the minty kind of aftertaste that they put in it. I mean, they've really thought about everything. So if, you've, if you're interested, if you're in need, no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You will get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's Ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L, dot com slash Gabby to get 25% off your first month. So tell me about Blueprint. How long did it take to 
kind of get the iteration of where you are now in place? And what was the process of everyone kind of, you know, whiteboarding what you were going to be putting, put yourself through and what needed to happen? We, it's taken us two years to get our cell and we're, we're improving all the time. So, I mean, two years to this, this certain milestone, it's a process where, um, People are accustomed to the idea of chronological age. So the moment you left your mother's womb, a concept that is new for people is biological age. And we all know uh, if we look at somebody who's 16, we can identify biological characteristics that are unique to a 16-year-old. And we know they're different than an 80-year-old. And so we know that there's a spectrum of biology. And so if you my objective is, so my, my sons are 19 and, and 17. My 17-year-old lives with me right now. Our objective is for me to be indistinguishable from my 17-year-old. And so currently, if you take a blood panel of him and a blood panel of mine, we're almost unidentifiable. You wouldn't know which one came from, from whom. We're, we're that close. If you do an MRI of him and an MRI of me, you can tell the difference between him and me. He has... Is uh, it bone density or what? what are the... Yeah, he has yeah, he has different structural elements to his body than me. So his his thymus is different, right? So it's just biologically he's different. And so we're trying to make the biological age of each of my organs identical to an 18-year-old. And that's the objective. So it's not a vanity project. It's meant to say it feels great to be 18. And it's not so great when you're experiencing the deterioration of age. Right. So the question is, can each of us do that? And so the objective of Blueprint was I've spent millions doing this and I just make it available for free for everybody so that they can do it at the cost of the food and whatnot. And it's to change, try to change everyone's perspective to a new norm that going back to this gameplay let's, can we imagine rebuilding society? So we just are at this level all the time. Like that's, we're all in a biological rejuvenation, uh, constant state. Mm -hmm. And we move our minds to play a different game. Like we elevate to something else, but that's just a norm now. And we're good and we can move past it. And is it so that we can go to a hundred and with high quality life playing this game and then, biologically, if it's time, or is this the sort of an idea of like, Hey, we want to also push out to 150 years, or is there a thought into that? Or, or you're just first things first. The way to pose this question, you can do this question two ways mm -hmm. and they elicit different responses. One is if you say to somebody, do you want to live tomorrow? And I'll ask you, do you want to live tomorrow? Absolutely. Why? I think the first thing that comes to mind besides sort of the natural impulse of survival is I have a job to do with my family. Yeah. You have stuff to do. Okay. Now imagine you arrive tomorrow night, uh, right before bedtime. And I ask you the question, do you want to live tomorrow? What do you think you're going to say? Uh, well, it depends on what kind of day it was. <laughs> yeah, okay. The kids were, yeah. no, of course. Yes. Okay. So then this first question is at the end of each day, do we have something to look forward to tomorrow? That is the only time span that matters. It doesn't matter what we think about living forever. It's only, do you want to live tomorrow? If you, again, if you frame it the other way and you say, do you want to live forever? It breaks people's brain. Yeah. And they say, 
I would be so bored. I would hate everything. You know, I am married too, by the way. I've been with my same partner for 27 years. So then you start talking to me about, we joke, Laird and I are like, so if you lived forever, because that's not the, that's not the offer when you get married, you think, okay, we could pull this yeah, for right. 70 that's right. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you better ask just 24 hours before, just the night. You're <laughs> that's, right. That's a good point. And that's all we need is our human brains is just, let's work at a 24 hour period of time. Yeah. But do you want to feel like, yeah, do you have stuff to do tomorrow? And, uh, because really the, the question as it's been framed in our culture and by media, it triggers a violent reaction and it's really unproductive because everyone benefits by being in a better state. And so blueprint, I should clarify, this is not to say that the expectation is that each individual has the willpower to do this. It's very hard. And the means it's very, very hard and it costs a lot of money. So even the stuff I make free, it's very hard. The objective here is to say, hey, society, we should make this default. And specifically, we should stop dedicating ourselves to addicting everybody to food and algorithms and every kind of bad behavior. And we should, we should stop the self-destructive behaviors, getting people to do bad things and doing bad things ourselves. Stop it mm-hmm. and build society so it's normalized where everyone can be healthy. Because it's really, if you go back to the 2050 thought experiment, they may look at us and be like, those people were insane. Yeah. Like they, they literally had- We are insane. This self-harm machine where everyone had all the economic incentive to get people to perform the worst self-destructive behaviors and drive themselves into a hole. It was madness. But doesn't that feel sometimes like an overwhelming- undertaking when you mentioned the word technology, it it seems like it's all set up to keep us hooked on to everything. So we don't have this freedom that you're talking about. That's right. Because God forbid we had harmony and we were, you know, kind to one another. And then we'd be able to ask bigger questions or say, well, the people who are in charge, what are they actually doing or whatever those things are. So I, I, what keeps you do you just keep your head down and say, I, this is my, this is what I'm committed to and it's good. And I know that the world works the exact opposite way. And you just keep each day. I keep my head up. Mm. Looking down is going to give you a distorted perspective. So it's up Mm. and it is a trust that somehow, not always, but uh, a decent probability is somehow correct answers naturally find themselves in a winning spot. Like and, the truth. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I, I'm careful to not use the word truth because everyone has a different version of truth. Well, just, you know, each person's real, I think the notion of a, this idea of like, what is, is, yeah, whatever that is shows up. Yes. And the, like, for example, is that, is that energy or is that God? Like, what is that in your, cause I know you were raised religiously. Is that an unknown? Like where, what is that for you? It, it is not intelligible to me how any human could with a straight face, take a position either in support of a God existing or not. <laughs> I don't know how we do it. And that argument, you know, that disagreement 
of course, has probably cost humanity more lives mm-hmm. and more suffering. Yeah. And I'm not sure if we really want to embrace that debate as the thing we kill each other over. What, you know, what, whatever side of the debate someone takes, fine. Is it worth bloodshed? And is it worth us becoming tribal? And, you know, I don't know. It, it's a tough one for me to understand uh, why we have such strong opinions. And it's why I'm so skeptical of our minds. I mean, I saw what my mind did to me. Right. It just, it was destroying me. I couldn't stop it. I was helpless against it. I only achieved proper health in removing it. Yet this is the same phenomena that we use to fight and kill each other. And um, the, the, the revolution that needs to happen on this planet is potentially demoting our minds and elevating self and removing ourselves from the situation. We believe we are the problem solvers and we may be our worst enemy. And it may be, the answer may be right in front of our face. It's just counterintuitive and hard to see. There's a funny comic you've probably seen where there's a person searching in the light, uh, just under a street light, on their hands and knees searching. And a person walks by and says, what are you doing? I'm looking for my keys. Where did you last see them? Over there. And he says, why are you searching here? And he says, well, this is where the light is. So we so frequently look in the light for solutions, even though the answers are elsewhere. And this one made to me is one of the more compelling solutions to pretty much everything that plagues us on this planet. You, you must really be astounded by kind of normal human, what we call normal human behavior. You must, you must be like, huh, oh, look at those people. <laughs> it must be kind of interest foreign to you. It's interesting. If it, you know, if you have that sort of feeling and clarity about certain things, you must be like, wow, that, that looks hard. I mean, the same way that I was observing how I responded, how I was watching the different versions of myself responding to this yeah. is identical to how people around the world are responding to this now. They, it's, there's no difference between the arguments my brain was using against myself and how it was out, uh, you know, throwing tantrums and acting out and insulting me about all the things. Same thing across the world. And it's just this phenomena that we just shared. We have this shared space and... These patterns are predictable and common. And it's, again, it's why I love haters. I got to adopt this philosophy. I want to uh, hear it. Why it, is that? It's beautiful. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the same thing that happens within you. Like you have your own haters within you. You know this. They chirp in your brain all day, sure. every day. They're your haters. You have your own comment section in your brain. Every day, how'd you do in the interview today? What did you say? Are you sad about something you said? Did you phrasing something incorrectly? And how many times is that going to loop? Mm. Like we all had, it's like this phenomena that exists everywhere. Yeah. And so it's not, you know, we don't want to denigrate them calling them trolls. We don't want to say that they have no value to offer. It just is. And we were this sum of all things. So you get up around what, 530 pretty much. And Maybe just if you could run me through the important, you know, supplements um, that you, you have a, you, you say basically till 930. I don't know if it's still the same. Things are pretty laid out. 
there's no choices to be made. You're just, you're, you're going through your, your routine and your program. What does that look like? I'll go from memory here. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll walk you up until we started this morning. Okay. Yeah, so 5.30, I, so I, I track my sleep with uh, three different measurement devices. I walk into my bathroom. I do my inner ear temp. So I see my body temperature. Mm-hmm. An interesting outcome for my protocol has been my body runs roughly two to three degrees uh, colder than normal. So my body temp is around 95, eight or so. Mm-hmm. And so this is what happens when you are on caloric restriction. I eat 25% fewer calories than normal. My body just runs cooler. And there's compelling science to show a cooler running body lives longer. Sure. What, 2,150 calories a day on uh, the button? Or has that changed? 1977. Oh, we changed it. Yeah. Only because it's the year I was born. So. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's roughly, just you were ready to turn it up a little. Exactly. So now, a little bit. are you guys going to account for, for females, we know that... Calorie restriction is always good. Fasting, not so much. Um, we can get into that. But so now you're down to 1977. Mm-hmm. Yes, Brian. Okay. Yeah. So inner ear temp. And then I weigh myself on a scale, which gives me you know, weight, body fat, water hydration, a whole bunch of stuff. Then I take uh, certain supplements that I do on an empty stomach first thing in the morning, which is just part of a protocol that changes over time. Wash my face. Uh, walk downstairs, drink my Green Giant, take 54 pills. What's in the Green Giant? Uh, it's, yeah, it's a it's chlorella powder mm-hmm. to get spermidine, cinnamon, creatine, collagen peptides, uh, and I believe that's it. Okay. And then I take... What's your base? Is it like a... Water. Okay. And then I, I'm, while I'm doing that, I have HRV therapy going on. So I have this device that I put on uh, this part of my ear here. And it stimulates my vagus nerve. Mm-hmm. So I do that for 60 minutes from the moment I wake up until I do that. I have a light therapy device that uses red light therapy for hair growth. And does that work? Uh, yeah, the evidence shows that it's okay. Great. Yeah, People, um, that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, this is a time of day where my, my son and I are in the same space in the kitchen. So we're talking about the day. He, he typically monologues about everything on his mind. That's lucky. That's great. Yeah, it is. That it they're is. talking to you. It's gorgeous. It's awesome. He monologues about everything he's going through in life. And so he's talking. I have an HIV device on my ear. On my, <laughs> I have red light therapy on my head, making my green giant, taking my 54 pills and putting super veggie on the, on the uh, stove, which is a couple pounds of vegetables uh, and, and chocolate. I wrap that up. Uh, he goes to shower because he's going to school. I go work out for an hour. I come back in, eat breakfast. Um, I go upstairs. Wait, but the training that's, that's designed. Is there sort of like two days of, um, a longer sustained elevated heart rate? Is there kind of like bang iron a little heavier? Is there sort of a split in this kind of recipe about, uh, what you guys think are going to, is going to work the best? I, yeah. So, um, the workout I do is, I think it's about 35 to 40 exercises. I do the same thing every day. Okay. But let's say the argument would be, because yeah. everybody always talks about adaptability. Right. What's the way that we're going to continue to get gains, let's yeah. say, and this is just, a you know, yeah. out of curiosity. So to measure the efficacy of my workout protocol, I do 
Uh, so again, it all comes back to data. So yeah. I use, uh, I have a medical grade ultrasound machine in my clinic here at the house and uh, sonographers specialized in muscle skeletal. So they come and they look at my tendons and my ligaments. We measure my whole body uh, looking at that and we compare what the workout protocol is doing. So again, if you take this to a bunch of uh, specialists, you're going to hear a concophony of opinions. Right. Unlimited number of people expressing opinions. Fine. And there may, this is not to say that what they're saying may be better. It's just to say there's so many opinions, it's very hard to know what to do. And so what I, all I'm saying is the protocol I'm doing, we measure and we look specifically at what's happening in my body because of it. And so we're tracking what's happening. So we just have a closed loop. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we also look at if I do these fitness tests, I do like I look at my VO2 max, I do uh, a full lung assessment. So I'm looking at my diaphragm and looking at uh, my expiratory pressure. I'm, so we're doing the ultrasound with my lungs and my breathing. So we're looking at hundreds of measurements. So I always know uh, what's happening in my body and I know the inputs. So again, it's not to say that someone doesn't know something that's better. It right. is to say, I can actually baseline and measure what I'm doing. I get that. And it brings clarity to the conversations. If somebody else wants to put something forward, wonderful. Give us your data. Because until that, I don't know what right. to believe. Okay. So are you enjoying the workouts? Yes, I love it. You do? Have you... Do they show up differently, like from week to week? Do you sort of say, even though the moves are the same, is there something within you that also you know, how things, the same thing can be so different. Is there, are you having a different relationship with the movements and how mm. you're doing them and how you feel? I love my routine. It's just a ritual. I mean, this is not to say the only thing I do phys uh, physically. Like I also, my son and I go play basketball. We, I do trail running. We do trail hiking. We play tennis. So I do a bunch of activities. Sure. But just as a base every day I'm active and it gets my whole body ready. So a, a lot of things I do is just uh, intense stretching, the, the stretches. I'm not going after powerlifting. I'm not trying to build a ton of muscle. Uh, and then also I do, I did full body MRI. Uh, so we looked at the full body quantification of my fat and my muscle. And if you look at the, uh, there are optimal clinical outcome ranges of fat and muscle. And I'm in the 99th percentile for optimal fat and optimal muscle. And so again, it's full body measurement. Right. And so it's, it's, um, at least we're okay with where I'm at because the data says of all the data we have looking at people's optimal clinical outcomes, I'm in the 99th percentile. Let's say you're going outside and being in nature and you feeling great and you go on a hike and your son's like, let's like, he wants to go long and far yeah. and you're on 1,977 calories. Are there times where you're like, Ooh, I came up short today. Cause if you exert more, I mean, yeah. is there, have you had to kind of contend with that a little bit? This has been counterintuitive. I'm vegan and caloric restriction. And a lot of people think when you pair those two, the person's going to become frail. I, my boys and I will go up to a trail. We hike this trail. Uh, it's, it's, um, a uh, 3.5 miles, 1500 feet in elevation. Wow. It's tough. Yeah. And we basically sprinted. And last time we did it, I smoked them for the first 31 minutes. So oh, that was like the, one of the most human things I've heard you say. <laughs> You're like, I smoked those I boys. Did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was leading them and I kept on turning back and I was like, go, I'm, I'm holding, I'm going slower because of you guys. Can you pick it up? Yeah. And 
they both beat me in the past in the last 500 meters as we sprinted the finish line. But you know, like, yeah, I mean that I can hang with my athletic 17 and 19 year old boys on a caloric restriction diet and vegan. And I have the data. It suggests maybe uh, this is a viable thing. And so what's interesting is I eat this these number of calories and a lot of people think, oh, you, you know, you must have to modulate up and down according to your level of physical exertion. I don't. Right. I just eat the same number of calories every single day, never deviate. And somehow my body just figures it out. Your body navigates that. Yep. And now like some people have postulated, you know, it's not sustainable long-term. We'll see right now it's my body stable. It, nothing's changing. Uh, and I've done these peaks and valleys of exertion. So again, we're just guided by the, the, the measurements. Because we are hormones and rhythms and all of these things, do you ever, is it just easier certain weeks than other weeks? Or, or have you really hit a stride where you feel pretty level and consistent? Uh, I'm remarkably stable. If you look at my sleep scores, for example, I'm 100% every single day of the week. And uh, that's, okay, that's not true entirely all the time, but like generally speaking, yeah. it's incredibly stable. And so, yeah, my routines are uh, non-negotiable. Like here, it's funny in the house and our friends know this, when 8.30 PM strikes, yeah. uh, Talmadge and I literally run to our bedrooms. Really? We don't play nice social, you know, yeah. like, you know, nice everyone knows see you. it's out. Let yourself out. It's out. Mm-hmm. And so it, having that clear expectation, now it's humorous. So everyone's cool with it. But I guess the point is, uh, it's a rigor of discipline that uh, we have incorporated. Because really, I guess it's a mindset of, I think of what we're doing here as I'm a professional rejuvenation athlete. Yeah, I'm not a biohacker. I'm not a hobbyist. I'm a professional athlete. And I'm going to treat myself as a professional athlete. And when you have that kind of mindset, it's an entirely different game. Whereas most people, it's like you if you just think you're just trying to get along in life, it's a different mentality versus you're like, you really are serious about what you're doing and you, you embrace that mentality. Like, I mean, I don't know why creative professionals, they go to work all day and they use their brain. Mm. They have to be their very best in their brain, not their body. They're not shooting balls or kicking balls, but then treat your brain like you're a professional brain athlete. Mm. Yeah. So you, you do your routine exercise and then you, what happens? You come in and you eat. I ate breakfast. Yep. And then this morning, yeah, I get, uh, today I did a lung therapy. So I, I haven't shared about this publicly yet. We'll share about it in the future. Okay. Um, we found some things, in my lungs to rejuvenate age. Mm-hmm. And we also, I had COVID for the first time. I was going to, it's yeah. so funny when you talk about the lungs, I go, I wonder if this could have good, th- you know, ramifications for long haul COVID or something like that. Yeah. So we actually, we've written this all up. Great. Uh, I have, because I've been measuring myself over this two-year period of time, I have these measurements on my body, lungs and heart and everything. And so I have a high degree of evidence of what COVID did to my body. Mm. It's not good. Sure. And the refrain I've heard most commonly is, you know, people get COVID and they say, ah, I had the sniffles for a few days, so bad, but I'm back, I'm good, wasn't that bad. And then the conversation ends. And this goes back to the thing of what we cannot see but I have measurement now to show what happened to my lungs and my heart. It's not good. And I'll share this uh, publicly, yeah. but I think having this data would change our opinions about how we, because uh, it's, it's now pretty clear to me why people in, uh, you know, uh, 
had less robust health would die from this. Yeah. It takes a pretty big toll in the body. I had COVID very early in March of 20. And um, I, after that, started getting AFib. Mm. You know, I went to the cardiologist, the heart is fine. But the thought was maybe it was the COVID that... uh, Mm -hmm. That kind of, and my age, you know, like hormone changes and things like that. So I, I, I'd be interested to hear, to hear about that when, whenever you guys come out with it. So you eat your breakfast. So any of these foods here represent something that you, so you had your, did you already have your chocolate this in the morning with I your did. son? Uh, I did. I mean, b- before you work out or when uh, does that happen? with breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, uh, so of the 1977 calories I have a day, the, <laughs> The engineering challenge is how do you pack in all the nutrients the body needs to be in an ideal health mm. without number of calories? And so every calorie has to fight for its life. And vegan. Yeah, that's Because right. certain things are just, there's more bioavailable, you know, right. kind of things. And yeah. So every organ is asking for a certain, like every organ is asking for stuff. And that's why it's uh, 1,977 calories plus 104 supplements. Uh, that package for me mm-hmm. gives my body exactly what it needs. Now, to your point before, it's going to vary person to person. Sure. The principles, however, are going to be applicable. And so for breakfast, it's what you see over here. It's cauliflower, broccoli, black lentils, mushrooms, garlic, and ginger. Mm-hmm. And so... Over going to try it. Great. Uh, over a month period of time, you would eat over 70 pounds of vegetables per month. It's about 10 X the fiber of a normal diet. Wow. And so do you eat this up or do you eat it just as is? Eat up. Okay. And I puree mine. I, I saw that. Yeah. I would go for this is why do you do that? Just for ease of use Yes. or digestion uh, absorption. Time. Yeah. The, the okay. mastication, I mean, there are benefits of mastication sure. and I do, I do masticate other stuff. Uh, but the this volume I eat, it's, you know, it's like, uh, almost a thousand milliliters. It's a very large volume. Mm-hmm. And so just for time. And so I do that. And then breakfast is this nutty pudding. Oh yeah. I was curious about the nutty pudding. The name is quite good. Yeah. Did you ever hear of the stuff that they would send? Um, it was like nutty butter or nut butter where they would put a lot of, um, nutrients in sort of a peanut butter and send over to places like Africa mm-hmm. where you couldn't refrigerate. Mm-hmm. And so when I use that. When you did this, I was like, oh, it'd be interesting. So what do you guys have in here? Walnuts, macadamia nuts, uh, flaxseed, sunflower lichen, pomegranate juice, berries, cinnamon. It's and really chocolate. good. Yeah, uh, it is. People, this is a dessert. Is there stevia in here? No. What's the after kick? It's interesting. Maybe uh, it's the chocolate. Yeah. So people oftentimes love this dish. It's their favorite dish because it tastes like dessert. Yeah. And it's topped with berries. So, but it's really, it's a fat dish because you've got a lot of uh, the nuts, you know, of the best nuts. Mm -hmm. And then you can sprinkle that with this chocolate. The way we think about chocolate, however, uh, is the way how we think about blueprint. There's five levels to think about it. One is the statement is, you know, uh, chocolate is good for you. And so people would think, okay, well, great. If I eat a Snickers bar, at least blank percent of it must be good for me. But if you go to level two, it's not just any chocolate. It's not milk chocolate. It's dark chocolate is good yep. for you. If you go to the next level, non-dutched dark chocolate is it's good a big for one. you. Four, you just say uh, non-dutched dark chocolate that, do, that does not have heavy metals in them. And then on the fifth level, it's dark chocolate, non-dutched, non-heavy metals from areas of the world that have the highest polyphenol count. 
Where's that? Uh, some South American regions like Colombia has high okay. polyphenols. And so the every time we do something in Blueprint, we have to look at it from all these different levels because if you stop at chocolate's good for me, you miss out on all these benefits. So you have to really go down. So this diet is basically representative of several years of tuning where it gets the, it's trying to be the perfect diet for the body. And the same thing is true for the olive oil. So I, uh, two tablespoons a day mm-hmm. of olive oil. I'm going to taste your olive oil. Same thing here. It, uh, be ready. It's got a kick. Okay. <laughs> I can handle it. Okay. And I've got water to chase it if you, if, uh, if you, if it kicks too much. That's great. Okay, good. So same thing here. It's, it's um, We have seven different ways we quantify the chemicals. So is the chocolate for satisfaction or is there it just for also really for the health benefits? Every, this is what my organs have asked for. Okay. Yeah, this is not what my brain My saying. organs ask me a lot for chocolate. <laughs> I just want to tell you. Can you share? Okay, so I don't want to stop you. So you have that you eat, and then what is what is sort of the next part of your day look like? I'm sure it's like you've made room for people like me, and in case or you have meetings and other tests, like you're talking about certain lung tests and things like that. Um, you seem like somebody who's probably well scheduled and organized. Is there ever an I don't know window? Like it's free floating. Sure. Okay. And, and do you, what do you do? Like if you, if, if all of a sudden I gave you two hours and you were here, maybe no one else was here. What would you, what do you think you would uh, lean into? Uh, it would be an evaluation of the, what day of the week is it? Like what needs to happen in the whole landscape well, so of me, the For week? example, like, is it a Saturday or a Monday or mm-hmm. a Wednesday? It depends on what day of the week it is when the window opens up. Okay. Let's say it's the weekday. Weekday. So, I mean, uh, I would prioritize the first scan. Does do my kids need anything? And number two, mm-hmm. then is I would look at kernel and blueprint. And so, kernel, the technology is built; it works. And so, maybe what is the highest value thing that needs to happen for this company to move forward faster? And then the same thing for blueprint: scanning all the possible actions that could be taken, and then trying to identify the exact highest value thing to do. We're always tempted to do easy things that check boxes. And it's very hard to choose the hard thing that actually is meaningful. And so it's identifying the hard things that are meaningful. Are there things that you dread doing or you just are systematic in your approach and you just get it done? I try to be dispassionate about it. You know, like if, if, uh, if I look there at something that seems hard, I try to just sit with it and then overcome the inertia that would otherwise be invited mm-hmm. and just do it. Because I know it, it's, once I take a baby step into doing it, it's just like working out in the morning. Right. You don't want to work out, you do your first set, and it's like, I'm good. So it's just that first little thing to go after a hard thing. And if it's the weekend, would you, do you ever, like, I know this is, like, do you watch a movie? Do you ever watch a movie or do anything like that? Or that's just not time well spent? Like, what, what, let's say it was the weekend, the kids are cool, um, everyone's doing their thing. What would you do just for you if you had an extra bit of time? Um, two things. One, I'd read. I read a lot. Uh, and then two is my son is going through something similar that I went through where he was raised in a, in a religious environment. Mm. And... Um, he left the religion like I did. Yeah. And so he's now reacquainting himself with the world 
without this structure being imposed upon him, which means he can now watch movies and read books and play with ideas that were forbidden before. Right. And so I've been his guide exposing him to these different realities. And so I spend a lot of time walking through books I've read, ideas I play with, movies I've watched. And so we really do that. And so I'm trying, I have one year with him before he goes to college yeah. left. And so I really try to give him as many models about reality as I can. So probably those two things. Beautiful. What about the middle of the day? So you get through work, you, you know, your last meal, is it going to be at five? No, is that right? Or like noon. Okay. Your last meal is at noon. Mm-hmm. Okay. God, it opens up a lot of time. Isn't it amazing how much time eating takes mm-hmm. and thinking about eating and what you're going to eat? That's it's what I'm insane. Saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's so insane. So you're a person from 2050 now saying this. Yeah. Because most people think this is such a un- non-negotiable part of our existence that it's, it's too sacred to touch. And your enthusiasm for what you were just saying yeah. maybe represents somebody from the future of like, why would humans ever spend in, in a industrialized world? Why are they still spending 50% of their metabolic energy trying to acquire food like hunter gatherers? Why isn't it just automated? Okay. So this is what brings me to, this is a representation. It feels like of where we're going. Cause the other idea of this is like part of the time I live in Kauai, it's kind of a different lifestyle gathering. And a lot of times gathering and celebrating is around food. Mm-hmm. What it does for, I don't even know what the word we're going to use here. Okay. The, the spirit, the connection yeah. with our, you know, brothers and sisters mm-hmm. arriving at this place that feels like time well spent. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting thing because if we're living in this fast paced world and we've got technology and all this is rolling, maybe that makes sense. How do we survive that? How do we, that's right. The physical body survive that. So I I sometimes feel like it's almost like two separate places. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause sitting around a fire, Mm -hmm. right. Would be a good thing. Mm -hmm. I've been hosting these blueprint brunches. I call it uh, the first supper. Really? We, we meet here at this table and we make a full blueprint spread. So everybody has super veggie, nutty pudding, chocolate, olive oil. We do serve berries with chocolate smothered. Yeah, exactly. Whoa. 100% dark chocolate. Getting going crazy. Hey, going crazy. Exactly. And we use these two hour windows and we talk about the future of intelligent existence. And the group is always comprised of, of like we've had world-leading scientists, engineers, astronauts, artists, uh, school teachers. We've had you know, uh, medical practitioners. We've had this wide assortment of people. And we get together and I pose these thought experiments, that, uh, some of which we've talked about today, and we have a deeply engaging conversation. And they all follow a very similar arc where everyone arrives. I give them a quick acquaint, you know, sure. most are familiar blueprint to some level, mm-hmm. but we give some, like we warm some things up. Um, people introduce themselves. People are kind of like finding out where they're at and who's there and all that kind of stuff. We start these questions. People start giving these answers and then somebody will hit vulnerability. They'll be like, all right, here's the deal. Mm. And it breaks it open. Yeah. And then everyone starts being vulnerable and then everyone's comfortable. And then there's some thought experience that are controversial and some opinions will start going around and people start feeling a little bit of tension of where people are setting off. 
And then we do this reconciliation phase. And at the end, everybody's hugging and exchanging information. Uh, and they, they leave saying it's one of the most interesting and engaging conversations of their entire life. You know, it's that they feel reprieve of not just having their brain focus on what's for dinner or what's the weather like, or like what's happening in politics. And yeah, good luck. And they feel tremendously relieved. And I run this Jeffersonian style. So I moderate the conversation. Everybody talks, everyone contributes. Uh, there's no one person that dominates because you know, there's problem. A lot of people in social situations, there'll be one person who just wants to take over. Yeah. Hammer down. That's right. So yes, I guess what I'm saying is I acknowledge the, the social value of interaction. Blueprint is not antisocial. It is not something that ruins socialization. I found it actually enhances it because when you're getting together and you're doing this, it's a, a level of connection that we're doing something on different levels. It's nourishing the body. It's nourishing the soul. We're nourishing each other. So I found my social environment uh, and life much more enriched now than I did before. Yeah. Well, and I think especially if you don't feel trapped within your own hell, mm-hmm. I think probably everything else is probably mm-hmm. more enjoyable. I mean, let's face it. Like you said, if we can get peace in here to start, um, I, it's my health is everything. I mean, and and being able to have that some sense of peace or homeostasis for yourself, then you can actually enjoy whatever it is you're doing. So I'm trying to be sensitive to time. I'm, I, I'm just curious. I hear you talk about zeroism Mm. and I, I I just would, I really fascinated. Um, I in fact ordered the book. Uh, If you could just talk a little bit about that. Among engineers, it's common to hear people say, you know, from a first principles perspective, And what they're meaning is they want to say, given a certain constraint on time right now, what do we know about the universe? And if we follow what we know to the universe, what is the most basic thing we can say about the universe? So we don't have any assumptions, like the absolute first principle. And when I was starting 10 years ago to think about what do I do that could have a meaningful meaningful impact for people that existed in the year 2500, what would it be? And I found that I would get stumped if I thought about that from a first principles perspective, because you're inherently constrained by what you know today. Now, you can take those things and extrapolate and make models. But uh, one night, zero principle thinking came to me. And it just made total sense because I'd been stumbling. How do you actually think about the future of existence in a way that exceeds your own imagination. It exceeds your own creativity. It exceeds your own reach. And zero principle thinking was a way to do it. And so one way to understand zero principle thinking is talent hits the target. No one else can. Mm. Genius hits the target. No one else can see. So talent is first principles. It's, you know, to clearly shift sift through all the assumptions and find out what can be known. Genius is zero principle thinking. And so an example of this is when AlphaGo, the AI, beat Lisa Dahl, mm-hmm. where he was a 19-time world champion. And then when AlphaGo played Go against him, commentators uh, observed he was playing AlphaGo, not he, AlphaGo was playing from a different dimension. Right. And 
It played moves that humans could have played, but humans didn't. So it was a target that was present. Nobody could see it. And AlphaGo played moves that nobody could see. And it was just uh, baffling for humans that this genius came on the world stage. And so the fundamental bet about our existence and the whole reason why this whole thing is in, like, this is like the nut of why the whole thing is interesting, what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Humans have largely built society based upon first principles thinking. Yeah. A few times, zeroth principle thinking has come along. Uh, for example, when Isaac Newton, yeah, Newton invented calculus. Uh, I, when they bring about these certain things, when Einstein did special theory of relativity, when we discover black holes, they're like these certain things that have fundamentally changed our understanding of reality and expanded our reality. My hypothesis is the future of our existence is going to be defined by zeroth principle discoveries. That it's going to change at a scale and type that far exceeds our imagination. And for us to be in a position to welcome that, mm. we need to be in a good place where we can roll with it. And that's why getting our health is the most baby step of them all. Get everything working properly. Get things working between us properly. Get things working with our planet properly. Let's stop self-destruction and let's roll with these zero principle discoveries that are going to happen because of AI. Yeah. And so it's, so what is the future of being human? It's a zeroth principle world. And so I, the philosophy behind blueprint is zeroism. And it's the most exciting prospect of any existence that we've ever, that has ever been had by, by the human race. And if we can situate ourselves to get ourselves in this flow, you know, maybe existence could be more magnificent than uh, we can even imagine from our current vantage point. I can't help but think that in certain ways you're born with this level of, uh, you know, you're able to be analytical and you talked about sometimes a detached point of view. And I know people, cause I get accused a lot by my people that are close to me um, or the observation is, is that I experience a lot through, you know, I will process my emotions first before I'll react. I mean, compared to you, I'm like, a, you know, a crazy person, but um, I have friends that are like, oh, you're, but you're not emotionally you know, that's not kind of your, your language. Mm. Do you think, cause there are groups of people, I think, even if they're really healthy, they're emotional more. They're, they're, they're moving in from their, their heart. It, I don't know, even if their, their organs, everything was healthy to be able to respond sort of by like, uh, well, I'm assessing and now mm-hmm. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll respond. They're, they're responding is there going to be room for that when we talk about this new, do you think? Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating philosophical question. Who's in charge. And it goes back to this basic concept is when you set the morning, when you set your alarm for 5am is that person in charge or is 5am who wants to hit the snooze button in charge when Someone decides they're not going to eat dessert because they have committed to themselves. They're not going to dessert. And then dessert arrives. Who's in charge? And we have this authority question, you know, and and same thing when a person's aroused and they feel fear or they feel anger or whatever, who's in charge. And this is what I was trying to solve is the authority question for me, who's in charge. And I said, you know what, if I look back to my life, 
my mind has really not been all that great to me. It's really bad to me in my mind. It gives me a lot of hate, right? It's always telling me like how awful I am. It leads me to all these self-destructive behaviors. And I was like, well, that's like, you've had your time. You've not performed very well. Time to give authority to the full body. And it has been the most liberating experience of my life. And this is very counterintuitive. People think the blueprint limits their freedom. It actually increases your freedom because you're no longer subjugated by this tyrannical force of your mind. And it's invisible. It's hard for us to see this, but again, it could be the prime, the single observation we make about ourselves and our species that's holding us back Mm -hmm. is we're just in a death grip holding on thinking that we have the answers when we're the biggest impediment to our own progress. Yeah. Do you ever, in whatever language you want to call it, meditation, prayer, do you ever lob it up and just say, I'm, I have a question or I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something or look for the right sign or signal or idea? Do you ever have a practice of that without it being in a box or religious? Right. Do you, do you open yourself up that way to, uh, to sort of other inspiration? I do. I look at the data. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love this. See, this is why I wanted to talk to you because it is it is really um, like a, another, it's just, so when I don't understand something, I'm like, I really want to go and, and learn from how that, how that person is, yeah. is thinking and, yeah. and understanding things. We did, so we did this funny experiment at Kernel where we, we were testing the effects of alcohol in the brain. Yeah. So we gave placebo, low and high, uh, moderate dose of alcohol. And we did blood alcohol uh, level, uh, and we also did behavioral impairment. And what we found is when a person, <laughs> when a person, so yeah, we do fun stuff. We I was going to say, I had this vision of like <laughs> the newbie and he had to drink or she had to drink the most and you know, who knows what they yeah. ate. Yeah. Anyway, go so, ahead. So Colonel, what do we do? We do psychedelics and yeah, people alcohol. Great. They, we were looking at impairment. And mm-hmm. so the question was, um, when a person becomes impaired by behave, by alcohol, you know, so we did a behavioral test. Uh, when a person had a low amount of alcohol, their behavior was unimpaired. So they would do behavioral exercises and it was like, that person's unimpaired, they're fine. We could see impairment in their brain. So we can see with this imaging device, impairment happening, but their behavior isn't social. So from the outside in, you're looking at like, oh, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But the brain just compensates for the impairment. And then we gave them high dose and it was no, their brain could no longer compensate for the impairment. And so then their behavior changed. But again, the, the point on this thing, and, and, and also the person's observ- observations of themselves, they'd say like, I'm not impaired. But a person's observation about themselves was absolutely unreliable. There was zero connection to reality, what the person observed about their impairment and whether what was true. Hmm. And so every time we do, the, I read something or do these experiments, the data is pretty compelling that our observations about ourselves need to be looked at carefully because it's, it's uh, sometimes can be a very far away from the truth. Yeah. And these, these tests show that. And so um, <laughs> that's how I get through my days. Brian, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I tell myself a lot of stories. Yeah. You do um, also, do you still do three ounces of wine or with too many calories? In yeah. That? It's too expensive. The, the, and the ca- caloric. Exactly. 70 calories for three ounces. And I just couldn't fit it in. It's okay. Uh, I don't have the budget for it. Brazil nuts. I do half a Brazil nut in nutty pudding. Okay. Yeah. So, 
do you, are you still um, doing any metformin or NMN or uh, rapamycin a couple times a week? Is that still part of the program? Yes, it's 2,000 milligrams a day of uh, metformin. Okay. And just out of curiosity, I had a friend, we were talking about it. If, if somehow the data showed up that you needed a medication, mm-hmm. um, and I guess you could say rapamycin or metformin is considered, quote, medication, but let's say something else for something. Would you be willing to take something like that just as a, you know, like, I don't know. So I mean, it'd be hard because you were, your levels, everything's so measured, but if something showed up that a certain medicine would help you, would you be open to doing that? So again, uh, who's in charge, right? Mm. It's not me, right? It's the system, the system of measurement to evidence the protocol. So uh, I'm not going to respond yes or no. It's the system. Got I it. follow the system. Okay. And again, it's source of authority. What's your dream? I, I know about we're going to play the game, but if it, do you have an expectation on, because this takes a lot of patience on your part and you've given away all this information, by the way, for people listening, your, your supplement protocol, which is extensive, is online. Mm-hmm. So Everything I, is. Yes. Yeah, so I want to direct people to that. What does it look like? Is it in five more years that you provide blood tests and blueprint and, or kernel or providing sort of all these other ways to support this program? How does, what does that look like yeah. while you're waiting to see? Yeah. Uh, yes. I'm exploring that now. Yeah. Right. And again, the re- rejuvenation Olympics is a really good one for someone mm-hmm. to do because uh, it's just a, a finger prick mm-hmm. and you get a score for your pace of aging, which is kind of like a single report card number for all mm-hmm. you're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's a really nice way to do one thing and get a full body health report card. And that's why we launched it uh, again to gamify it, but then also to punch through it. If uh, this test can be a scorecard mm-hmm. for you of your physician of your favorite health guru, of your favorite celebrity guru, of your favorite critic. uh, We can use data instead of words to try to slice through the noise. All right, Justin, you get get a one-minute question. Do you have one? One One-minute question. Where to start? I really wanted to ask, like, do you have to watch out how much sex and stuff you have? But we can do that (laughs) another time. Because I don't know if that's too expensive. And... I see in your eyes, Brian, you don't want to answer that question <laughs> on uh, sex. Yeah. Are you, is there a limit like expenditure? Oh, did, uh, did you find I had any boundary conditions? I, I just trying to honor you. I thought that that'd oh, be I, like a little, like, is there, well, okay. Hell, I mean, is there, <laughs> I took your question. Yeah. That's a guy question. Um, <laughs> sex. <laughs> so can you have as much sex as you want? No. Is there a sort of a, cause that's energy. That's, that is, a, you, you can, in the data it would definitely show energy. Yeah, yeah. Are you, is there like a way you. I mean, it must be interesting. (laughs) Are you, is it sort of like, Hey, I try to just do it a couple times. Or if you have a partner who you're with and she's like, Hey, is it, or is it spontaneous? Or is that also kind of, Oh, I see. Is it it regimented? Is it like, well, is there a time? I mean, obviously it has to be done by eight 30, (laughs) right? Like baby, I'm going to bed, but I don't know. Is it, I mean, sex women, we're, we can be fickle. We can be like, I I'm see. tired, yeah. I'm revved up or yeah. whatever. And yeah. then you're just like, oh, but sweetie, it's 820. I mean, yeah. what do you do? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 Um. <laughs> oh my God. I would, I sometimes wish I, 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 this is amazing. I really want you to come to my house and meet my husband. I really do. I need you to, because he, it would be amazing to have conversations, but would, are you just like, yeah, I'm ready. 
so first, like this conversation around sex, you know, if we look at it, there's all these weird, uh, not weird, uh, there's this giant number of social norms around the topic mm. and people feel like they have to dance around, like even the discomfort you fell. I mean, you were like dancing in your seat. Well, I don't know you and I sure. just want to honor you. I mean, if we were at yeah. real dinner and not on camera, I'd be like, yo, I got to ask <laughs> you. Cause I know libido is a big yeah. thing. You talk yeah. about that as an important part of yeah. health, but are, is there, is that just, there's a room fluidity in your yeah. life for. I'll get all, um, I'll tell you one thing I'm doing related to this. Okay. We, as part of our experimentation, we found a technology, uh, it's high frequency electromagnetic stimulation. So it, um, you maybe have seen this before where people do this for like to build apps. So they put this device oh, on sure. and it creates yeah. like 20,000 sit-ups, yeah. right? So it takes your body beyond. Mm -hmm. And so we were experimenting with this, with this technology. Part of what the technology can do is you can strengthen your pelvic floor. Great. And so women primarily use this after having babies. Yeah. Uh, and so you sit on this little circle and you move yourself around <laughs> and you find the exact spot and then it, it pulses and it just grabs everything. Yeah. And so it's a, like a Kegel, uh, but it's much more powerful and it just pulses as, and it's like flexing the muscles on the, on the pelvic floor. Now, pelvic floor is not something you think about when you think about a gym. Like gyms are not advertising you know, gyms are advertising yeah, come in and get biceps your, right. and, you know, blank and blank. They're not advertising how to kick ass pelvic floor. Right. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, kick ass is like, is a no, I understand. Okay. So the pelvic floor is really important though, as women know, for a lot of things, post having babies and other things, uh, pelvic floors are also important to men because the entire muscle structure down there atrophies with age. And so we just start playing around with this uh device mm -hmm. and funny enough uh <laughs> yes brian <laughs> should we leave this as a hanger no okay it's so, working for the men as well uh so funny enough i started the um the, the number and intensity of nighttime erections i had mm -hmm. dramatically improved amazing i shouldn't say dramatic, dramatically increased okay and that turned our attention to the scientific literature of what does the biological age profile look like of male nighttime erections? And if you dig into the literature, you see very clear graphs that uh, with age, the number, frequency, and intensity of nighttime erections goes down in time. Right. And so strengthening the pelvic floor reverses that. So all things like blueprint, it's an organ, it's a biological function, it has a relationship to aging, yeah. and we found this. And so this frequently happens in Blueprint where we start with a certain area of exploration, and then we have this offshoot we never expected to happen. And then we dig into the literature, we look at what this looks like. So then the question becomes, what is the profile of an 18-year-old's nighttime erections? Frequency, strength, right? And so mm -hmm. it comes back to putting the system in, that, okay, so like, is that an achievable thing with the technology we have today? Right. And, but again, like if you think about everyone wanting to be well yeah. and healthy, right? I mean, well, that's an indication of good health. Sexual uh, health is a big one in society. Yeah, it so is. it'd be great if we could talk about these things without taboo. The yeah, without the cloudiness, yeah. the taboo, it's, yeah. it's a natural function. It can be openly discussed. Yeah. It's nothing to be ashamed about or, you know, it's just, so yeah, it's just, it's fun because, um, 
Blueprint mean, is fun. You mean sex is fun? <laughs> no, it is. Of course. I know. Well, Blueprint's fun because you're getting to play and you're learning how really the same root cause can impact everything so positively. That's right. So what would be the number one place you'd want to drive people to learn more about either Kernel or Blueprint or you? Yes. Uh, I mostly hang out publicly on Twitter. Mm -hmm. And then most everything I do is on my Blueprint website. So again, I've spent millions of dollars. It's all available at no cost. So anybody can implement, anybody can test whether it's for real. No one has to believe me. You can do your own tests. But I hope that, I mean, my friends and family who have implemented this, their lives are changed. And people walk into this with skepticism and apprehension. And then once they do it, they can't imagine existence without it. And it happens pretty quickly, but they go through the, the same predictable stages every yeah. time. It's, our, much of our life is so predictable. And so people can do it and adopt it and um, incorporate it into life. And I would encourage people to do so. Uh, I think that the, uh, life will be more enjoyable for them if they do so. Even if you're emotional, it'll, it still will be. I'm, I'm teasing. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brian, I really appreciate your time and for sharing what you're doing. And um, I'll come back in 2050 when you're like 25 and I'm 90 or 80 or what, however old I'm going to be and just recheck in and, and see if we laugh about how crazy we're acting right now. That's right. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. Head to the link in the show notes and click gabbyreese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at gabbyreese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating, and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.